Diving Resort. It's a hotel we can use to smuggle the refugees through Sudan to Israel. So let's be very clear. If this goes wrong, you'll all be hanging from cranes. That's a clip from the movie The Dead Sea Diving Resort. The movie came out in 2019, and it was based on the true story of the clandestine Israeli airlifts of thousands of Ethiopian Jews, including Operation Moses, which launched 37 years ago this weekend, on November the 21st, 1984. Israeli operatives worked with Ethiopian contacts to airlift 30 plane loads of Ethiopian Jews from refugee camps in Sudan. And if you've seen the movie, you know the Captain America star Chris Evans plays the Israeli Mossad agent who runs the operation out of a phony diving resort which the Israelis set up on the Sudanese coast of the Red Sea. But Hollywood has never done a film about the Canadian Jewish community's rescue efforts to bring out Ethiopian Jews to safety years before Operation Moses. But a group of concerned Montrealers in the early 1980s couldn't wait for the diaspora Jewish community or Israel to get going. So the dedicated team of local lawyers, social workers and students teamed up with some separatist politicians in Quebec and Brian Mulroney and Stephen Lewis. And visas were arranged by creating fake university acceptance letters, fake jobs, even bogus wedding invitations. And yes, bribes were involved. And they succeeded to bring about 200 Ethiopians out. The arrival of these Ethiopians to Canada in the early 1980s was well known in the Jewish community when I grew up in Montreal, I remember it. But now, over 40 years later, thanks to an American museum, the story is being made into an oral history collection featuring one of the main operatives, Mark Zaretsky. Although, to be honest, they really had to coax him to talk about what he did. I mean, it, you do what you got to do. And that was the way of reaching them. And, you know, for me, it was a case of Pekuach Nefesh saving people's lives. So it's not that much of an expense to pick you up in your place. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. In the last episode, we interviewed Yafa Tegenye. She's the daughter of Baruch Tegenye, who was an Ethiopian Jew who raised international awareness about his people. And his campaign in Israel and North America is credited with the resulting mass airlifts of tens of thousands of Ethiopian Jews to Israel. But before Operation Moses and the later airlift Operation Solomon, nothing was really happening in a big way. So Tegenye left Israel with his Canadian wife, Susan Mijakovsky, and the couple moved to her hometown of Montreal. That's where Mark Zaretsky met him. He'd cut his teeth in the Soviet Jewry movement, and soon the trained social worker used his connections through his job running Hillel at McGill to start the rescue of Baruch Tegenye's people. With a team of students and other concerned members of the Jewish community, like the late Stan and Sandra Citrenbaum and Edith Cooper, they formed an Ethiopian rescue task force that was just as clandestine as the Red Sea Diving Resort. The Israelis weren't too happy with the Montrealers. They felt it would put their secret airlifts that they were planning at risk. Coming up, we'll talk to Mark and to the museum researcher Leah Cohen, who's put the online exhibit together. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Stacey Goldberg in Toronto, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. Remember the collapse of the condo in Surfside, Florida in June that killed so many residents, including Canadians? We reported on the deaths of former Montrealers Eti Ainsworth and her husband Rabbi Tzvi Ainsworth in the Champlain Tower tragedy. Now we've learned that Eti's mother has died. 
Miriam Felig was 89, and she was a Holocaust survivor, originally from Poland. She immigrated to Canada and then later retired to Florida to be closer to her large family of 10 grown children. Mrs. Felig's funeral was Sunday in Queens, New York. She'd been very close all her life to the late Lubavitcher Rebbe. Her cortege passed by the Chabad headquarters on Eastern Parkway. Mark Zaretsky is retired now, living in Ottawa, where he was head of the Jewish Family Services Organization for many years. Leah Cohen is a former Montrealer, and full disclosure, we went to school together, and she was one of Zaretsky's Hillel students. But she's now manager at the Pritzker Military Museum and Library in Chicago, and they both join me now. Thank, Thank you for, for having us. us. Oh, it's great to see you guys, and especially after all these years. Uh, we're going to start with, with you, Leah, just to give us an idea of why you decided to highlight uh, Mark's story and the story of the Canadian rescue. I think that telling the story of the rescue of Ethiopian Jews by Canadian Jews, in particular by Mark Zarecki, is an important one and a moving one. For example, we always hear how in North America there was there were not enough rescue efforts of, of European Jewry. And as time goes on, one keeps learning of more and more efforts. And here's something where at least many of us are still alive and now's the time to record the story. So minimally, I wanted to get his oral history up on the website, and I hope that more research will be done on this. Mark, uh, let's bring you in now and ask you, you know, how did you first get involved with the rescue uh, for people to come to Canada? Uh, first, I knew Baruch Tegeni. And uh, Baruch had introduced me to, I think her name is Su- Suzanne Gagnon, but ba- Baruch was already involved in trying to develop contacts. And he developed a primary contact, believe it or not, with the uh, PQ government. And they were receptive and willing to sponsor Ethiopian Jews to um, Quebec. Uh, I think there's a couple realities. I think number one reality is in, in those days, Nobody wanted to um, take out the Ethiopian Jews. Government of Israel, Canadian Jewish community, they were frowning upon helping remove those people. And Baruch, I think, created that opening. You touched on that a little bit. There was reluctance and maybe a little bit of stigma. Uh, What did that look like? It's one of the reasons I had gotten involved. And we started to take some people out because everybody was saying it can't be done. And it was done really easily. We just sponsored, uh, it was Galila and her two siblings. And uh, we started to sponsor other people. What did you have to cope with? What was what was the problems to getting them out? Uh, you know, first of all, the Ethiopian government was fine. Malka, uh, Baruch's uh, cousin who was in Ethiopia, she did all the arranging internally in Ethiopia. She bribed whoever had to be bribed, and we were actually the conduits, but she had done most of that work. I'd just like to add a little bit about Mark's role. I think he's being overly modest. Um, that um, it, it, With the assistance, I believe her name is Louise Gagné, who's the Louise official. Louise Gagné, yeah, she was provincial, yeah. From the, so that she had visited refugee camps and wanted, as Mark said to me, to put in effect a game plan. But Mark was the one who started really the uh, the fake visa plan. In other words, he had different schools, I think, believe McGill, Concordia, um, Vanier and Dawson. Egypt, yeah. um, Egypt, uh, create basically um, a fake um, 
acceptance of Ethiopian students that was coded that he would he initiated that early on I believe Mark you initiated um, <laughs> wedding invitations although and then I believe you even used your home as a, a quote-unquote a church to invite people to visit so and you later showed me some of the let's call it archival material of letters that were from Jewish businesses or daycare centers that were similarly um, issuing um, false letters of acceptance of employment. Um, mm -hmm. So that's where I feel that needs to be told. And that was it's really your story. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure we were getting there yet, but if we're there, we're there. Yeah. Uh, I was observing how Ethiopians were coming out in different places and, and the uh, things that lay presented were ways that we saw Ethiopians coming out. So we just prepared the appropriate documentation and they would present it to the government. So it would be the basis for them leaving. And then the federal government got involved. I had actually met um, Stephen Lewis, who is at that point the, uh, the Canadian ambassador to the United Nations. He introduced me to the prime minister, Brian Mulroney, and we had that whole discussion about federal sponsorship. So Stephen was very helpful and Mulroney agreed and uh, the government of Canada then agreed to issue sponsorships for these people. But it went through me and private people. It normally should have been community leadership that were involved in those contacts. They weren't, they were very reticent. It was only later when they saw these contacts having been developed that they became supportive of it. Uh, did those students end up going to those universities and, and the weddings, or it was completely bogus just to get them here? All bogus. How many did you try to get out? How many successfully made it? I think we took out a, tried to take out a couple hundred. Uh, and I think actually more came out than I'm aware of because many of them got the documentation and went through Israel with that documentation. But we assisted probably there's about 70 now who live in Canada between Montreal and Toronto. And most of those came out because of our initiatives. When you uh, saw that Operation Moses was going to happen, I know it was like a big thing. The journalist broke the story and embargoed and, and then it was called off at first. What were your thoughts watching this? The Israelis spoke to me, so I knew in advance that it was going to take place. And they would tell me every week how many people came out through it. When you first picked up the first people at the airport, yes, you remember what that looked like? Can you describe it? Well, it was Galila and her siblings, which was interesting because, um, you know, they never saw elevators before. And they never had seen any of these things. And their eyes would pop open when we would take them somewhere, so show them something. How has the community done in integrating and, and be making lives in Canada? It's, it's like, you know, 30 years now, so. It's passe already. So they've accepted them and they're okay with it. But uh, it was a process. I remember the first time I brought Galila to a show, everybody's head turned. What is this black person doing here? They had no idea of, of uh, Ethiopian Jewry. They had no idea of anything. So it was interesting to see, but eventually people became accepting of it. So how has the, um, the fact that Leia's uh, museum started to sort of give publicity to your work, how does that sit with you? How, how do you feel about that? Quite frankly, I'm not thrilled. I sort of 
uh, I think we did what we did, and I'm happy we did that. But I don't really want this uh, extra publicity about it. But I guess it's fine if other people find it interesting. Now, you know, it's sexy. They have the movie Operation This, and they have the Red Sea. Did you have a name for what you were doing, like Operation, I don't know, Poutine or something? And I just say that because that's what came <laughs> to mind. Like I like Poutine, no. <laughs> no, I don't. We didn't have a name for it, Leia. No, I don't. I don't remember a name either. It's almost more in retrospect. I felt a need, a need to yeah. give, it, give it a name. Yeah, we should and, incorporate a name though quickly. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia, integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout out goes to Alex Friedland in Toronto, and we'll end the episode with a little bit of self promotion, if you don't mind. Although Remembrance Day is over, I'm doing a special YouTube show on Thursday for the Royal Canadian Regiment Museum in London, Ontario. And it's on the amazing story of Lieutenant Mitchell Sterling, who gave up going to medical school at McGill to fight the Nazis in the Second World War. And the Canadian Army has named a building after him for his bravery in the Italian campaign. So here's a clip from the show. It's his late brother Martin Sterling talking about how poor the family was while growing up in the Snowden neighborhood of Montreal. The link is in our show notes if you want to watch. And we lived in the back of a store for two years. In the toilet way down. In the, well, Mitch was earning a salary too, I eh? guess. Mitch was earning a little bit of money. Well, he was. But both Mitchell and I, from the age of eight, uh, understood, didn't have to be told, that on Saturdays we worked in a store. The Limud Toronto Festival takes place on Sunday, November 21st. Limud features educators, performers, authors, activists, and innovators from around the world. The Limud Festival of Jewish Learning celebrates creativity, diversity, inclusivity, and discussion. Everyone is welcome. All tickets to Limud are pay what you can. Learn more at limud.ca.